Have you ever needed a supportive community in your journey to advance racial equity, stop and prevent oppression, and catalyze change in your life or your organization? Join us in our online community at intentionallyact.com. As James Baldwin wrote, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Join us online to confront the challenging questions and situations in your journey to advance racial equity as we build community to offer professional, personal, and organizational development, skills, and knowledge. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Atia Martin. Welcome to Intentionally Act Now, a podcast that supports the All Aces mission to activate consciousness, catalyze critical thinking, and transform capabilities that advance racial equity and build resilience within ourselves and our organizations. We feature a wide variety of leading experts in diversity, equity, and inclusion, conflict management, critical race theory, personal growth, and more. Hi, this is host Enrico Imanalo, Director of Partnerships John Monahan III, hosts Michelle Holt-Shannon and Andres Mejia, both of the University of New Hampshire's Carsey School of Public Policy, in conversation to explore affinity groups and community conversations that they facilitate through a program called New Hampshire Listens. In this episode, Holt-Shannon and Mejia reflect on what it's like to do racial equity work in what is undeniably a very white state. Mejia also reflects on his experiences as a student at UNH, as a student of color, as well as the importance of affinity groups in his own development, while Holt Shannon reflects on the role that cross-racial friendships and relationships have played in her own racial equity journey. Let us know what you think about this episode in our online learning community at intentionallyact.com. I want to welcome my guests, Michelle Holt-Shannon and Andreas Miha from New Hampshire Listens out of the Carsey School at UNH. My name is John Monahan. I am the Director of Partnerships at All Aces, Inc., and I'll be uh, hosting this conversation today. So welcome, both of you. Really excited to have you here. I've known you for a long time. I would consider you both friends and colleagues. Um, and I'd like to tell our guests a little bit about you before uh, we get into our conversation. Um, and we're going to be talking about uh, affinity groups and um, how to engage communities and all the great work that you all do um, at University of New Hampshire through the Carsey School at New Hampshire Listens. Michelle Holt-Shannon is director and co-founder of New Hampshire Listens at the UNH Carsey School of Public Policy. Her work on and off campus is focused on inclusive civic engagement, community problem solving, and building coalitions for uh, uh, community-initiated change efforts. She joined Carsey in 2011 to focus on process design to ensure fair, inclusive, and informed outcomes for local and statewide projects. She works to bring people together across perspectives and backgrounds to solve problems and create equitable solutions for their communities. Michelle has consulted on navigating controversial community issues, addressing racial equity, and fostering organizational and community cultures of sustainable and authentic civic engagement. Recent projects include learning exchanges for racial equity, statewide conversations on the American dream and New Hampshire kids, mental health and substance use, community police relations, and water sustainability. Michelle is a senior associate with Everyday Democracy and a 2018 Better Cells Knoll Farm Fellow. 
She is a graduate of Leadership New Hampshire, class of 2013. She earned her master's degree in higher education and human development from Bowling Green State University and MTS in the world's religions and theological studies from Boston College and a BS in biology and psychology from the University of Alabama. Thank you. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Okay. Yes. Uh, and then uh, our other guest today is uh, Andreas Mija, comes from a family of seven siblings, a Dominican father and a powerful Puerto Rican mother out of Boston, Mass. He is the first person in his family to receive his undergraduate and graduate degrees. Andreas graduated from UNH class of 2014 and 2018 with a Bachelor of Science in Social Work with minors in Women's Studies in Race, Culture, Power, and a master's degree in community development and policy. Andreas has spent the last five years working at the University of New Hampshire, implementing diversity initiatives, spearheading underrepresented student support, and helping leaders across campus, from student organizers to faculty and administrators to become more culturally competent folks, marginalized within uh, people of color, LGBTQAI communities, and folks of various other marginalized groups. Andreas has served as the Connect Program Coordinator and Admissions Counselor at the University of New Hampshire, where he spent his work days supporting and advising students of color, multicultural, and first-generation college students. He was also part of the Multicultural Admissions Recruitment Team and supported the Administration Office with creating and implementing diversity recruitment plans. Before his professional life at UNH, Andreas worked as a learning specialist at Charter School in Massachusetts. Andreas has been inducted into the 2019 UNH Alumni Diversity Hall of Fame. He received the Mover and Shakers Award in 2014, the Pink Triangle Award in 2014 for the support and the advocacy of the LGBTQIA community, and the MUB Community Spirit Award in 2013 and 2014. Outside his work schedule, Andreas likes to travel, explore different restaurants, and go dancing. And I learned that he also has two pet turtles named Flash and Jab. <laughs> so welcome, both of you. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you. I, I don't get to see you as much as I'd like to because we are in a COVID world. But um, I first got to know you, Michelle, because I went to an event called New Hampshire Blue and You when I was a police chief. And it was a community conversation with police officers that rarely, if ever, happens. And that is was my entryway into uh, the Carsey School and getting to know you, and then uh, eventually working with Andreas, who was a facilitator in a work group I was part of. Um, and it was uh, it's been a real blessing for me uh, to to have gotten to know you, the Carsey School, and all the great work that you do. How did each of you come to do the work that you do with New Hampshire Listens? Andreas, you go first. So start. Um, so I got started to do the work with New Hampshire Listens is just being part of the, the UNH community um, and, and my previous roles and um, getting connected to Michelle. Um, you know, one day Michelle hit me up and said, hey, you want to go out for coffee? And we went out for coffee and then she started talking to me about New Hampshire Listens. And I was like, mm, that sounds interesting. So I became, I started going to uh, facilitator trainings, advanced facilitator trainings. Um, and then I became a fellow uh, where where I was still in my previous roles, not working for New Hampshire Listens, um, but 
still doing uh, helping facilitate certain conversations and dialogues uh, across uh, New Hampshire. Um, and then when the opportunity came, uh, Michelle hired me full time. You know, I switched from my other position to this position, which I'm very grateful for. Um, and I've been enjoying my time since. So yeah, that's how I got involved. Thank yeah. you. Andres is uh, just having a great impact shaping shaping our work ahead. I, I think I got into it. Um, I jokingly say it's because I'm a middle child, but I I think the early work that I did in my career, I always ended up getting into the controversy stuff. And um, that's where I learned about the field of um, dialogue. And it's also where I learned about um, social justice. Um, and so uh, uh, New Hampshire Listens is about to turn 11 years old. and um, uh, I, I think we, we jumped in uh, when we founded uh, the organization and really haven't looked back, even though every year is very different. And it's um, we we just re respond to requests. Most of our work is off campus in New Hampshire and neighboring states. Um, and uh, yeah, it's changed over the years, but it's um, it's been fun to be a part of it and to have the work deepen. Uh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and and through, I just want to jump in there, through my time with, with New Hampshire List, it's just understanding, um, you know, just, you know, the importance of conversations and, and bringing people together um, for dialogue. Um, I, I just, you know, a lot of us don't know things, you know, and, and that was, that was like my biggest, you know, takeaway from doing with this work, like facilitating dialogues, putting people together across differences, is that a lot of us see the things we see, uh, uh, have the perspectives that we have, and, and move uh, uh, move in life the way we move because of what we know. Mm. And we, and a lot of us don't know things, a lot of things about other people. We, we might think what we know, so we, we, we move our way that way. We, like, we move uh, through life that way, uh, but getting together and understanding people's stories and where people are coming from um, is is a big takeaway for me. Um, yeah, how I can sit in spaces, even for my own personal self, people that I had stereotypes of or, or uh, you know stories of that I made myself, uh, you know, seeing identities, but getting to sit with people in a room and talk right. is a big takeaway for me. You do conversations that are all over from you know berlin new hampshire discussing whether or not atv should be on the streets up there to uh discussions on race and equity i mean you cover the whole gamut of of anything concerning to a community when they request that you um you know help come in and facilitate a dialogue between sort of two opposing views or maybe multi opposing views or on a, on a particular subject what what have you learned about productive community conversations? Mm. A lot. I mean, it's so uh, it's interesting. I think when I when I started, I was like, you know, you know, what do you do? Well, we we help people talk to each other, and they're like, oh, big deal, you know, <laughs> um, like like the uh, you know, we anybody can do that, and and I'm and mm -hmm. there is a part of me that's like, yeah, you know, anybody should be able to do that. Um, but we struggle with it, um, you know. I mean, we're definitely struggling with it now as a nation. But I think we've always struggled with with the 
the big chasms, you know, identity, power, um, politics. Um, and so I think, I think one of the things I've learned is that it really is a skill set. Um, the soft skills are hard skills. <laughs> um, and, you know, if you think about the things that really mess things up, um, you know, sometimes it's not knowing the math formula, but very often it's the people stuff. And, um, and I've been uh, pleasantly surprised um, time after time that just the impact of um, bringing people together across a difference can make a difference. Um, and people appreciate that you help them stay in the space. So um, paying attention to that, like uh, making it productive, making it um, safe enough uh, is is a big part of, I think what, you know, what we focused on and it's changed, it's changed our work over the years. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we call ourselves uh, issue agnostic, you know, so it's like, whatever the issue is, you know, um, we'll, tr we'll try and help. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you, uh, you know, this John, like just in the last, since March, um, the plate of the the work on the plate of New Hampshire listens is so significantly more about racial equity and race inequity in a way that one topic has never kind of swung our our plate, you know, in a in a direction. Mm. Um, the only other even comparable was um, you know mental health, behavioral health, opiate crisis um, conversations that spiked during a period of time. Right, things that touched yeah. all of us. Andreas, yeah. you, you talked a lot about discovering things about people that you had never known before and having them discover things about you. Is it less about the topic and more about getting to know one another and seeing the humanity in one another, you know, and, and, and that creates levels of empathy that we might not have had before? Yeah, um, I, I think, you know, tying back to that, I think it has to take, like, it takes trust. Um and, 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 and not only trust in, you know, the person, but trust in the process. Um, mm -hmm. this, this is messy work. And um, like Michelle mentioned, like a lot of us are struggle and a lot of us struggle with having these conversations across differences in dialogue. Um, it's, it's, it's trust in the process that I'm trusting that we're both in this space to get somewhere. <laughs> you know, I'm trusting that we're, we're, we're all in this space because we want to, uh, you know, understand each other, be in different places. Um, so I think it is getting to know people, um, getting to know their stories, um, getting to know uh, who they are and, and why they have that perspective. Um, for, for me, my biggest thing is that everyone has a story. Um, so so if, if someone says something that might hurt me or someone say something that I didn't understand, um, or I was like, mm, that didn't come out right, you know, my, my thing is there's a story behind it. Where's this perspective coming from? And to understand those stories that we all have, that we all bring to this space, um, you know, and, and with that, then we move forward. You know, it doesn't have to be topic specific. It has to be getting to know the person first. And then we move forward with what we're both struggling with, what we see different. Mm. And, and, and that's why people struggle with this because it does take time. It takes time. You just can't go straight into talking about a specific topic. You have to get to know and feel the people first before you move on to, to, to trying to tackle an issue or change 
something for, for the better for everyone. Mm. Thank you for that. How did we had a, a, a comment come in that facilitation really is a skill and we only need to see uh, see the election debates to realize that that it's not something you can just wander in on. It actually takes some training and, and skill That's like debate, debate moderation. Debate moderation versus yeah. facilitation. And there are different types of dialogue for sure. Hey, how did you come uh, to do racial equity work? How did that sort of lens get brought to your uh, facilitation plate? Yeah. I'll I'll say I mean I uh, I grew up in Alabama. Um, I moved uh, from there after my undergrad and went to Ohio. And I I naively um, I had been taught that the racism was all in the South, mm -hmm. and so if you can go somewhere else, it'll be cool, <laughs> you know. And so I um, when I moved, there actually was a part of me that thought um, that I'd be moving away from racism. Uh, mm -hmm. and then that sort of started a whole different journey of, 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 um, seeing what I was not seeing. Um, and, uh, and just starting to pay attention to, um, race and, and other kinds of disparities. I was always connected to, um, uh, you know, my, my theology degree, liberation theology, um, the Catholic church was formative in my, um, my work around social justice. Um, today, I think, I think the work has deepened because, um, in the last 10 years I've had, especially at everyday democracy, um, and other places too, I've had, um, uh, and, and UNH I've had, um, colleagues of color that I was learning from and following. And, um, and honestly, people were patient with me as a white woman who did not know what she was doing or talking about. And, uh, you know, I look back and I cringe, you know, and I, I mean, I can look at yesterday and cringe too, but <laughs> you know, I look 20 years back and I really cringe. And so it's, um, I, I was given the gift of um, people bringing me along, you know, yeah. um, and uh, and I'm still given that gift. I mean, I get it every day. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, the, I mean, I, 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 I just don't think I can under um, uh, play the what it meant to grow up in Alabama. Um, I had a very socially separate racially diverse upbringing. Like I was in a school of like, you know, 70% black, 30% white, very socially separate, except that we ran track together. You know, I ran, I ran track. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Andreas, now you grew up in Boston. That's a different world than, uh, yeah. than Alabama. <laughs> How did you come to do racial equity work? You know, I, at the beginning, I, I came to, 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 to do racial equity work um, for survival. And that's mm. what I always <laughs> just say, you know, uh, moving to New Hampshire 11 years ago um, to, to the University of New Hampshire, um, I, I dealt with things and seen things and heard things that I'd never heard before. Um, that made me feel like I didn't belong. And, and, and you know, I heard racist things, um, seen racist things, um, people did racist things to me, um, you know, and, and 
And it was like, like, oh man, like if this is the place I'm supposed to call home and survive here for the next four years, what do I have to do so that it becomes a place for me to survive mm-hmm. and, and feel like I belong? So I started getting involved with, with student orgs and, um, you know, that have to do with you know, diversity support coalition and uh, putting myself through through workshops and training to learn more about what, what I'm going through. And am I the only one feeling this? Um, and, and I'm not, not to say that I didn't deal with racism in Boston. I did, you know, but then I also had my family to go back to. So it just yeah. became like you deal with racism. You see uh, some white people do things to you and like, oh, that's just how some white people are. And then I go back to my family. We laugh and show each other love. And then and then it, you, you forget about it. But over here, I didn't have nobody to go to. <laughs> you know, right. I didn't come up here to New Hampshire with my family. I came by myself. Um, so just making sure I put myself in the right spaces, in the right circles, people supported me and, and helped me navigate through the system. Like the, the uh, you know, the Borough Guard Center here at the University of New Hampshire reformed me was the Office of Multicultural Student Affairs, the Connect program, which is a program that I, that I went through as a student and then later ended up being person overseeing it as a staff member many years later. Um, so going through that process um, and then after it becoming me realizing like, wow, this is a lot of work and this is something I love to do. I, you know, it, 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 came, it became from it being something for me to survive as a, as a, as a black person, a Latinx person in the state of New Hampshire to, to then now I have to do it so that more people look like me and the students that I'm working for now feel like they belong as well um, and then that translating to the faculty and staff was like but I need to put the energy into this it's it's work that's needed um, and then seeing that it really does work uh, because it was because a lot of uh, 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 some faculty and staff of color that I stayed at the university and that I was able to get my degrees and I was able to receive my success so I want to provide that to other people in the state of New Hampshire um, that, you know, and, and some people don't move here. Some people are born here in the state of New Hampshire and they still deal with it their entire life. Um, so that, that's what I want to decided to dedicate my career to and my energy to, which is based in equity. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. I know, um, I've made it clear, obviously, I'm a middle-aged white man, that like what I know I had to learn, right? I didn't have to live it. I didn't have to live it with it. Um, and, you know, the people of color have to live with racism and they, they, they have this lived experience. And I think sometimes, like you were saying, Michelle, that white people who are well-meaning and want to make a difference uh, will rely upon their friends of color uh, to be their teachers and guides. And, and, and they may not necessarily have, a, a, they have this whole lived experience, but um, it, it's almost like casting a very unfair burden on your friends to then have to explain to you what, what life is like for them uh, and what you can do about it. And so that brings me to, um, how I second time got to know you is I was invited to join a white affinity group, uh, a cohort of people who went through a learning experience together about racial equity. And you were one of my uh, co-facilitators in that group. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, both of you, a little bit about what what it's it was called an affinity group. What is an affinity group? What are they for? Why do we do this? You know, uh, yeah. Tell me, tell us more about that. Yeah, affinity groups I think are are um, 
hard for folks who are new to the idea to kind of wrap their heads around, um, especially for white people. Like, why would white people get together with just white people and talk about racism? Like, mm-hmm. why would they do that? Um, and, uh, you know, the, I think the work is different. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll just say the um, for me, the 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 um, the white people anti-racism work is it's not a means in and of itself. It needs to be connected to um, a bigger effort. It needs to be connected and kind of in, in count- accountability um, with people of color. Um, but we, uh, about five years ago, we were invited by the Endowment for Health to, to think about, um, about this because they have, um, they interviewed about 30 leaders of color in the state of New Hampshire. And one of the, you know, virtually unanimous uh, messages that came out of those interviews was, I, we wish our white colleagues showed up having thought about this stuff a little more. We wish they didn't show up at, at the table, um, you know, only good hearted and say, what do we do? <laughs> you know, um, it's like, uh, and I, I really resonate with that because that was my inclination. Like I should just show up and, and, you know, get someone else to tell me what to do. There's no role for me here, <laughs> you know, kind of like this weird um, orientation that, uh, that I think um, makes us unaware of, of, mm-hmm. of our, our role and system. And so um, the people that the, the work that we've done with the endowment has, um, you know, this cohort learning for uh, people who are considered white. There's some programs for emerging leaders and mentors of color. And then there's the race and equity series, which we're all involved in, which is where everybody, you know, does the work. Um, and I love knowing that that triangle is there because um, to describe the the white people work without those other things feels you know incomplete. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say as a as a as a white person who who still has and had so much to learn and unlearn um, to create that space um, for people to uh, you know. I, I had uh, one cohort when a, or a person of color was going to join at one point. And I said, you can join or not join. You know, it's up to you. Um, uh, you know, if you join, the work will be a diff- little different. If you if you don't join, your white colleagues will come back having done some work, you know. And I remember him saying to me, um, I know my colleagues care about me. And I know they will worry about hurting my feelings. And so I'm not going to come so they can just get some work done. Mm. Um, and I thought that was very generous, uh, you know, uh, uh, of that person to say that. Um, I, I'll stop. I'll stop there. I, you know, I, well, I have to say one more thing. I, I just think that um, <laughs> it matters what material you use. You know, it Matt, like we try and use a lot of material that is written by and, and, um, you know, from the voices of people of color, we try and use, um, challenging material in a caring learning space, like this, like combo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and we check in with the people who are supporting this work, who are, um, you know, uh, two women of color, um, 
so they know what we're doing. Um, and it's not, uh, like we've gone off, you know, rogue, um, by ourselves. Right. No, I'll stop there now. (laughs) Thank you. Um, and, and, you know, I guess I got introduced into affinity groups, um, as an undergrad in college, you know, I, I didn't know they were called affinity groups. You know, it was, it was, it was, you know, waiting to get out of class, um, or get out of work and hang out in the lounge with all people of color. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was uh, waiting till the week was over so that the week could come and I can be in a space with all people of color. Um, and, and that was that was affinity. That was finding a place where um, where I can laugh, um, where I might not have to worry about anything racist being said, um, where you know uh, we can build each other and help each other, um, where I can talk to other people about what I'm going through and. and you know, dealing with uh, across campus and in my life. And they were like, you know, I understand that the same thing happens to me. Mm. And I would, they wouldn't ask me, what do you mean? Can you explain further? I don't understand. You know, just that that was affinity for me, you know. And, um, you know, and then obviously after I graduated, I started to understand what affinity really, really were by doing the work, you know, getting people together. And um, I've helped organize many um, affinity groups um, from uh, faculty and staff of color across campus and, um, and then I ended up my role in New Hampshire Listens, um, helping uh, well, projects we have, helping school districts and um, other organizations create affinity groups as well for people of color. Um, and it, it, it does, like Michelle mentioned, it does serve a different purpose. You know, uh, you know, it's it's a place to go for for networking, um, for for empowering each other, for for lifting each other up, um, for for a place where people understand you to just laugh. You know, you don't have to worry about, am I going to say the wrong thing or can I be my true full self right now? Um, which, which is what you, which as a person of color, for, for many people of color, uh, not all, you know, some, you can't, sometimes you can't do that. You know, you got to worry about the stereotypes you have about you, the biases you have about you. So you have to walk through this world in a different way. Mm. Affinity, being in an affinity group allows you to just put that wall down. Um, so, so that's that's a different purpose. And, you know, to, to talk a little bit about, um, you know, white affinity groups, you know, I, I agree with them and I think they're very needed. Um, you know, you know that white people need to do the work as well mm-hmm. and learn where, where they might have made mistakes before, what we're learning new, what we didn't know before. Um, and it's, it's a place for, you know, um, a lot of people expect people of color to do the work for them. So tell mm-hmm. me what they're supposed to do. Affinity group allows, uh, you know, uh, white people. The white affinity group allows for white people to take that that energy and, and that weight off people of color's backs. And you do the work yourself before you come and ask a person of color, "Can you explain this to me? Is, was this racist? Is this?" And, and I'm not saying that that conversation doesn't happen. They do have to happen. You put people of color and white folks together in the same space. You know, do multiracial work. That does have to happen. But first, we have to rejuvenate people of color we have to rejuvenate ourselves we have to need to have the energy to be in that space and then white folks have to also come with an understanding where we're not going to hurt people of color when we do this affinity mm-hmm. saying it's not gonna it could happen you know that's why this work is messy but that's what the hope of affinity groups are that we're creating we're building each other so that we come together in a space we can do this work together understand uh, right. you said something that um, made me think of like two 
I guess, lessons in this. And um, one is that uh, Andres and I were are doing affinity groups with teachers in a school district and the, the white teachers were learning and the people of color affinity group, they were trying to figure out what their purpose was going to be. And at first I was like, support, you know, <laughs> and they were like, we don't need a deficit space. Like we want to network. We're going to like, you know, and yeah. they, it was much more um, framing as empowering. And I, you know, so it was kind of like, yep, Michelle, you know, <laughs> it was different than you thought. So just step back. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, you know, that was, that was important, um, you know, for me to hear and, and see how they get shaped in, in different ways. The, um, the other thing I think is that um, as a, as a white person, I have, I have absorbed the message somewhere that racism isn't about me. It's about the people who are hurt by it. Mm. It's not the people who are hurting and perpetuating it. Um, the, I, that's been like, if I don't work to see it, I cannot see it. You know, I can, I can just think, oh, there's people being hurt, but there's no one doing the hurting. Um, and so that's one of like the biggest cognitive shifts we're asking white people to make that when they leave an affinity space, they can say, yep, I got, I, I have a role to play. I've got work to do. I need to show up. Um, and to, to have the will to spend the rest of their life noticing, mm -hmm. um, what is actually very obvious. It's so obvious, but I, I still sometimes don't see it. Um, yeah. 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 Thank you. Andreas, when we, we were talking about affinity spaces a little while ago and you, cause it seems counterintuitive. Like why are we separating people if we're talking about unifying people? Um, but you use the word growth and that different people need to grow in different ways. And, and that was the, the purpose of these groups have different purposes and they're they're both about growth but people need help uh growing in different ways and i was wondering if you could just say it again because you say it so beautifully but just, just tell so us more me, about that it was let me see. you're far more articulate than i am about it so let me see if i can remember what I, yeah. <laughs> um, you know and and, and I, I think you know yeah that that both you know, the purpose, you know, we might have one overall purpose, which is to grow. Um, you know, the outcome is going to be that, you know, people of color in a, in a POC affinity group or white folks in a white affinity group, you know, at the end of it, there's going to be growth. Um, and, and that means that uh, similar to what Michelle mentioned, that, you know, white folks are growing in what they're learning and understanding what racism really is and where they can make a change or where they can, you know, uh, uh, realize what, what what they're doing and and what has to change or um, how can we be better understanding this um, and for people of color the growth is being just in a space where we're building each other you know having social capital um, you know networking with each other connecting each other to other uh, uh, successes in life um, you know gr growing in the space to, to to you know people of color and like Michelle mentioned we we thought that uh, that you know, you know, uh, maybe they need a support group and, and affinity group was like, no, we don't need a support group. Like, you know, not people of color are very resilient already, you know, you know, we're already strong, we're powerful, you know, and this space is so that we can, you know, just help each other navigate that and move through the space together. We're all living in the system that was built on racism. 
you know, so how can we grow together to learn how to navigate the system and learn how to move up uh, together so that we can, at the end, when we do start doing multi multiracial groups, getting people together, we're all kind of on the same level in terms of, of growth, if that makes sense. Um, it does make sense. A different lot. purposes in, in, yeah. in each group and different lessons and different uh, programming and different you know, conversations, but at the end, we're both growing. Both affinity groups are growing. Um, kinds of affinity groups are growing. Sense. Mm -hmm. and, right. and I right. think it takes it takes the the common work once people get back together. Once those teachers circle up and look at their district, or what the work we're doing with the race and equity series. When you start working together, you're you're you really should no longer be you should be relationship building and trust building, but it shouldn't be, um, you know, uh, all about self-reflection and bias. We have to be changing systems. So we like, at that point, we need to show up ready, <laughs> ready for the work on the system. Um, and it, and it, it feels like some of that pre-work understanding that I have biases that I got to keep rooting them out, you know, that they're going to impact me if I don't recognize them, those kinds of things. That's that's sort of the lifelong but foundational stuff, mm -hmm. and systems are hard to change. Like it's that's it's it's hard. So I, like I I hope that that is the work that we do together. Um, yeah. So so let's talk about the race and equity series in New Hampshire. That I I so I went through uh, my affinity group work and I was invited to participate in this specifically in the criminal justice reform work group. Yeah. And, uh, and, and as a, a white police chief walking into that space, I didn't know what to expect. And, uh, and, and I've been passionate about social justice work my whole life. Uh, and I walked in wondering what this community was like. And I was like, there's like 400 people here. I was like, I can't, <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. And I just had felt so alone for a long time uh, doing some of the work. And then being able to be in that space together was just so good for my heart. And, um, and, and so thank you for that. But tell, tell us more about it for, for the people who don't, don't know. What is what is the racial equity series, you know, and uh, and and what's what's what are its goals? Whatever personal reflections you've had uh, from being in those spaces, uh, tell me more. Andres and I are like, who's going to talk? <laughs> you can go first. <laughs> I yeah, I have to say, um, the endowment for health has been. Um, really probably the most important partnership uh, in our work. And, um, and absolutely, um, I mean, definitely the most important partnership in New Hampshire in our, in our work. And it's the leadership um, that Melina Hill Walker and Yvonne, um, Dr. Yvonne Goldsberry are giving to sustained attention, you know, it started with a, with a gathering of about 250 and some of those people worked for a year and then it became a gathering of 400 and some of those people worked for a year. Um, we haven't had another big one because of COVID, but we're, we're doing another year of, um, of these work groups, criminal justice, economic development, education, health, government, civic engagement. And, um, and it's, uh, it's field building, you know, it's building, 
um, and changing New Hampshire and, um, and deepening the work that's, that's been happening in New Hampshire. You know, it's, it's it connecting people who want that, that work to happen. So, uh, you know, all hail to the, <laughs> to the endowment for health. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and it's been, uh, just a huge honor to be involved in, in that work. Mm -hmm. Thank you. There's a question that says, is this the New Hampshire BSR series? I'm not familiar with that. Oh, that's the, um, businesses for social responsibility. They just did, um, a 21 day racial equity challenge that you could, you could get a prompt in your email every day, um, with information, things to reflect on. Um, so different. Uh, but uh, but a, a really cool thing to see. Awesome, Andreas. What about you? How'd you get involved, and in, and in what do you, what it what do you like about it? Love about it? Hate about it? What? what um, so, <laughs> uh, so I don't think I hate anything about it. You know, I actually <laughs> enjoy uh, the race and equity series, and I, I got introduced through New Hampshire Listens um, um, to to the race and equity series, and then down for health, which is to the um, and, you know, I, I think my first time going to one of the symposiums, the, the, the large gatherings, it felt really good um, mm. to, you know, it touched my heart to, to walk into a space, you know, you got, you got to think about it. I'm, I'm always, I've been involved in race equity work for a very long time. And sometimes in this work, you feel alone and like change is not happening, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you feel like. You know, like, man, like, I'm putting all my energy to this, and there's still bad things happening to people of color. There's still bad things happening to people from the LGBTQ plus communities, you know, from, from many other marginalized communities. There's still bad things happening to them. Um, so you, you start to go, like, it is, is it worth putting my energy into this work? Walking into that space and seeing this room full of 400 people, you know, that, that were, you know, dedicated and putting energy into race and equity. Um, in the state of New Hampshire, across the different sectors, you know, we're touching a bunch of different parts of, of New Hampshire through this race and equity. Um, you know, it, th that was a good feeling, um, and I think it's when I think about the race and equity series, I think about big, big change in New Hampshire, mm -hmm. um, and, and big, big positive change and powerful change for, for that New Hampshire can be a place where everyone. Wants. So, so that was that. That's my connection to race and equity, and I dedicate my time, and I'm happy to be part of. Uh, you know, I used to be a facilitator. You know, where I met you, John, and mm -hmm. you know, and and you know, now part of the planning team. You know, it, it's 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 something that I, I really enjoy dedicating myself to. And the truth, a big part of it too, is, is seeing you know two powerful women of color as being the leaders of it. Like to see yeah. that walking into the space and seeing that for me, you know, uh, that was uh, something very important for me and, and, and what drew me to, to dedicating my time to this as well. So yeah. Yeah, tell Myra Hill also, she's just rocking, rocking yeah. the leadership of this with Melinda. Yeah. yeah. I feel I feel blessed to to have been invited in and to to be taking part and in, in doing the work with you all there too. And just as an example, uh Last summer, we testified in front of the Governor's Commission uh, on law enforcement reform, and and some of our recommendations, which came from those work groups, were adopted, you know, mm -hmm. by executive order. And uh, so it's 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 exciting to see it it not just uh, be in the works, but but work getting done too. So that was really fun for me. Um, all right, and so um, 
so I have a few personal questions about, and Andreas, you kind of touched on it with uh, your, your talking about affinity groups, but how do we be resilient while engaging in this work, especially work that disrupts the status quo, um, that bumps into people's belief systems? I mean, either for you personally or, or a community, um, you know, how, how do we remain resilient? Because it can be exhausting. We're playing response chicken, so you guys. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Um, I'm gonna take a stab at you know, like I mentioned before, this is messy work and this is hard work. Yeah, uh, messy. You know, you just said you you said multiple things that that make this work messy. You know, where where people believe certain things, mm -hmm. um, you know, or taught certain things growing up, you know, and. And, and first of all, you can unlearn everything you learned. That, that's a big part of this work. <laughs> you know, that we all learned something growing up. We're taught things in, through the school systems, through families, through friends, and, and we can unlearn that, you know, and, and find out the truths of, of many things and, and find out the many different sides of, of, of the thing. Uh, so, so it is messy work. Um, you know, it's, it's for, for me, as you know, it, it's gonna probably be a different response than uh, Michelle, because, you know, I'm, I'm a person of color in this race and equity work, um, is, you know, making sure I, I put myself around people uh, that are going to make me laugh, making sure I put myself around people that are going to say, you know, it's, it's worth doing this work, you know, like we're doing great work and there are changes happening. There is good stuff happening, um, you know, and, and to, you know, I, I just can't give up, you know, because it, it's for, like I mentioned, it's just for survival. Um, you know, the, the, this work is for survival for, for many of us. So I, I can't give up. I see myself keep pushing and pushing. Um, and, and if I was to give up, you know, where's what's going to come from that? I don't know, <laughs> you know, but I don't I don't want to because I really want New Hampshire to be a place where, you know, people of color, people from other marginalized identities can live and, and be happy. and belong. Yeah. So, so, so that's. That's, that's a hard question. Um, mm. And I'll let Michelle answer that a little bit and then I'll add on to it. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah. I mean, we talk, we talk about it. I mean, you know, here, you know, I, again, a white woman and a man of color trying to, and our other colleagues trying to manage schedules, trying to think about strategically about you know, if this is an all white group, do we need to use Andres this time? Um, if this is a mixed group, if Andres doesn't show up, you know, it, it, he's the only one feeling the pressure that he should have been there. You know, mm -hmm. it's like a um, uh, there's there's some inherent things that we talk about that um, maybe people in other works <laughs> don't talk about. Um, but we, you know, the pressures are different. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I, I think in the last couple of years, it's been, um, I mean, for a while I've been, you know, sharing and looking at like things around white culture and urgency and perfection and, you know, uh, all these things. And I think, all right, what have I, how do I embody that? And what about that is unhealthy for the work that we do, not just unhealthy for me or, or, mm -hmm. or even unhealthy for Andres, but like, what are we, what are we role modeling? How, you know, how are we moving into it? And so I, I, um, yes, personally, I walk my dog. 
Um, you know, I go on hikes with my spouse. I, um, I am better at turning it off at night. Um, unless we have stuff that goes till eight or nine, which, you know, sometimes we do. Mm. Um, so I've got the personal stuff I need to do, but I also need, um, uh, Andreas and me and our team to, um, be human with each other and like, you know, be able to say, um, can you cover me today? Or, um, and not really have to say a whole lot about why, like it's, you know, um, it can be different reasons, but, um, just to kind of have each other's back and to think, okay, we're doing hard things. Like this isn't just a nine to five or like, I, you know, I turn it off and I'm still replaying a conversation over and over again. I'm like, Oh, I messed that up. Dang it. Um, or, um, you know, I did a land acknowledgement recently and, and, and it was, there were some things about it that were not right. And my lovely colleagues, you know, said, said, don't use that one again. And this is why. And I was like, thank you. I didn't see it, you know? So it's just, and so I'm actually getting better at not kicking myself, you know, um, as long I kick a little (laughs) and then I have to let it go. Yeah. but I mean, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I would just wallow in it, you know, and you just can't, you can't do that. Like, you just have to say, I will do better, yeah. uh, uh, you know, and, and keep moving. So it's, yeah, I just threw a bunch of stuff out there, but. I appreciate it. I've, I've and, had a number. Go ahead, please. I was say, and, and we, you know, and I'm trying to think what's the, you know, I don't know if any of you know, watch ever watched wrestling, you know, but. You know, when it's time to tap out, your partner comes and taps you and you jump in the ring. And that's exactly what we do. You know, it can be in conversations, it can be in workshops. You know, when we feel like we have to tap out, mm-hmm. I'll, you know, go to Michelle, go to Carrie, I'll go to Bruce, which are other colleagues, you know, and tap tap on them. Like, hey, you know, do y'all want to, can y'all do this? Because I have to tap out. You know, and it's that same exact thing. And that's, I think that's how we say strong as new hampshire listens doing this work um and 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 another part is you know it's it's like michelle mentioned is building that team of people that that you can talk to when you you need to be human you know like this is getting hard i think Mm -hmm. we have to change our approach Um, and not everyone has that so how you know not everyone has those people on their team in their organizations or you know trying to make change in their community their city their town you know uh, for, for around race and equity. So it's finding that people right. that can support you, that you can tap into and tap out of when you need to. Um, and, and, and one thing I would say is for many of my identities, and, and I'm already, in, uh, you know, disrupted the status quo. <laughs> in positions I hold, where I speak, and, and you know, because it's not what, I would say, especially here in New Hampshire, what a lot of people see. Um, and a lot of people that they expect. Uh, so I, I would say that. Thank you. I appreciate your WWF metaphor. You are, <laughs> you are my Dwayne The Rock Johnson, <laughs> Andreas. So I appreciate your, uh, the power you bring to the stage. Um, you know, it, you were mentioning the culture of your organization. It's similar. We have a culture in our organization where we call it collective care. You know, how do we best care for our group? And, um, and, and it's, um, you know, we talk, what is it, what does it look like to be a member of a culture where care and equity can occur, where they can, where it can live, where it can exist? Um, is there any, you know, and we, 
we have an online learning, I think they're streaming it actually, uh, intentionallyact.com, where we have disruptor groups, which are somewhat of uh, groups that people can join. Um, and I often think about, think about like, um, you know, diversity officers in organizations, they, they, that could be, must be a very lonely job. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to do this work in spaces where some people get it and some people don't, and then you don't have a team oftentimes don't have a team behind you, but you know, for, for folks who are listening, what, what, how would you describe uh, creating a culture where care and equity uh, can live where, they, where, can, where it can occur? It's hmm. a big one. <laughs> I have I have a softball I can throw at you too, <laughs> <laughs> if you want. Uh, I mean, I'll just I'll just say what I was thinking when you were saying that. I mean, when you when you mentioned chief diversity officers, yeah. Um, you know, I I have um, relationships with with four four CDOs that I'm thinking of right now, and. Um, and I both um, want to uh, keep being in relationship with them. And then there's a part of me that's like, don't bother them. You know, like, don't bother them with your white lady self. Like, just, <laughs> you know, like, just be ready to help if you can. And, you know, so it's like this, um, I go b back and forth on like, how much should I be um leaning in and, and, and saying, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to partner. Um, and, uh, so I'm aware, I'm kind of aware of that in a per, in a personal place. Mm. Um, but all that to say that, um, I think one of my lessons in the last, um, you know, five or six years has just been relationships you know, authentic relationships. And one of the things I love about Andres, Andres talks about, I mean, and it's true about him, he, you know, he, it, like love and vulnerability, that's how he shows up. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I'm trying to think like, how can I show up as authentically as possible with people with lots of different identities um, and, and be, show up in the, in the most effective an authentic and loving way that I can. Like there, I really do. Um, like there's, uh, you know, a, a woman of color. I'm like, I'm gonna call you. We're gonna go hiking. And there's a part of me like, I don't want her to have to tell me no, because like, why would she want to spend time with me? You know, like it, it's this like because she could be with people of color. You know, I know, and I'm just meta thinking, right? But then it's stopping me from saying, hey, you do want to go on a hike? And then you know, so it's just kind of, uh, I think relationships really matter. Um, work and personal and like letting it be a little messy, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's what came to mind for me. Thank you. And I, th I think, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's being able to be your whole self. And then I, and I use that a lot, you know, that in this space um, and in many spaces that I enter into, I, I give all my identities and, I, and I'm vulnerable and I talk about love because in our relationship, if you're gonna be in a relationship with me, then you have to accept my whole self, <laughs> you know. And, and that's and that's the places, uh, you know, that I feel um, that care and equity, uh, you know, happen is is those places where I could be my whole self. Um, and that takes with, you know, uh, like Michelle mentioned, relationship, 
being authentic, being, you know, a space where, where you can laugh. You might say a joke that not anyone understands because they're not, you know, it might be something that only someone in your culture might understand, you know, but they ask, oh, I want to understand more about that. And you can just talk about it, you know, like rather than, uh, you know, um, them saying, oh, you can't, you know, that's not something we understand. So we don't, we don't talk about it, you know, but really being your authentic self and, mm-hmm. um, and so, so I think that's, you know, and I, and I, ha- there's many places like that. Hampshire Listens, I can say, uh, is one of those spaces. There, there's uh, many other spaces um, in, in, in New Hampshire, at UNH, that are, are like that, where you actually feel like there's care in the space, like equity is really happening in the space. Um, so, yeah, you know, that, that's what it looks like. Awesome. Thank you. And, 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 sorry, and, and places that challenge you. I, I want I wanted to put out there that care and equity doesn't mean people aren't going to challenge you. Mm-hmm. Um, it means people will challenge you for your growth, yeah. for, for your health, for, for you to be successful. And, you know, I think about just affinity groups, people of color. We challenge each other all the time, you know, like challenge each other so that we can grow together and say, you know what, like, you know, maybe, you know, that that's another perspective. Um you know, you don't always have to agree, but it's another perspective that you understand. That would always be part of what you know. So, so challenging is, is a big part of care and equity as well so for me. Thank you. Any parting thoughts before we sign off? Any any things you want to leave our viewers with, or anything that you would words of wisdom, things that you've learned? I do have one more question for you, but I'm saving it for the very end. So, I, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I, I would I would say um, for people to, to to take a break when you need to, <laughs> you know, take take a break when you really need to. When you're like, you know what, I can't wake up today. You know what, this is just too much. I need to, you know, go out for a hike instead of focusing on this. I need to binge watch a Netflix show instead of focusing on this. I need to go to a coffee shop and treat it. Whatever you do, you know, that's okay to take a break, but to stick to this work. Um, stick to race and equity work, stick to trying to make the, you know, the world a better place for everyone. Because um, I, I think right now, out of many times that this is a huge movement, you know, it's, it's not something that, that is going to, you know, be forgotten. It's not, you know, as you can see across our, our country, um, this is not bookshelf life. This is actually something that, that, that people are dedicating their, their, their lives to. So, and then people have been dedicating their lives to it before. Um, you know, there's just a bigger mass doing it now. So I would say uh, take your breaks, but don't give up. Get right back into the work. Thank you, Andreas. Michelle, Mm -hmm. any parting thoughts? Um, Just, you know, thanks for those who showed up. Shout out to Cora, uh, because I'm in King. I've known Cora for a long time uh, in Dover. And to Carrie, our, our, our teammate. Um, you said lessons learned and there really, there really are a ton. So I'm going to go back to the affinity work and just say um, there, you know, especially when you're doing white people affinity work, there are people who are like, you shouldn't be doing that. Mm. And um, I believe in it. And so we're going to keep doing it because I think it's needed. Um, But it's not without its um, detractors and it, it, you know, just, you, you gotta, um, you know, set yourself up in a space where you've got accountability partners and you're um, you're ready <laughs> for some of the bumps in the road that that 
that will come. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's kind of one of my, um, I, I do believe in it. And, and Andres and I talk all the time about the difference between doing white people work, working with white people in a white space to, to, uh, you know, be ready for multiracial work and work that's multiracial that still centers white people. Um, mm. And, uh, and I think we're always, we will always in a, you know, um, in New Hampshire be, you know, kind of navigating that and making sure the voices of um, and experiences of people of color are centered in race and equity work. Um, even though part of it means white people need to do some of their own work for that. Okay. In 30 seconds or less, what would you love to see come out of your work? Hmm. My, I have like, <laughs> well, I have an answer to one of the things that, that Andre spends a lot of his time on, and that is um, uh, focusing on whether it's young people, you know, college students or young people in, in middle and high schools, um, working with adults who work with youth to make sure um, youth are supported in their own um voice and leadership and empowerment. And I would love to see a growing um, network of youth who um, get together and support each other and do work in their own schools and towns. And um, and this is uh, this is something I think Andres is really good at. And I, I want to look back, um, you know, in in five years and, and just see that that impact across New Hampshire. And I, I think I will. So mm. that's one of my answers. Thank you. I'm trying to do quick. I, I would I would love to see uh, you know, you know, people of color feeling like they belong. I think that's why I dedicate my time. Um, and people of color, uh, people from the LGBTQ plus community, uh, like that they belong in this space and that this 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 state uh, of New Hampshire, this country, is is for us. So that's that's what I like to see. Thank you, Andreas. Thank you, Michelle. Our time has come to an end. Uh, if you want to learn more about New Hampshire Listens or the Carsey School, uh, you can go to their website um, at UNH and find them there. I think that there's uh, we, we get a lot of inquiries about aff affinity groups, and I think there's a lot to be learned. Uh, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You can pick up the phone or, or look at a web page. Uh, and then also come join us at intentionallyact.com. That's our online learning uh, platform where you can also uh, find yourself in community with people who care about you, who love you, who want to see this work get done, and will support you. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you again, Michelle and Andreas. You're two of my favorite people in this whole world, and it was a pleasure to spend an hour with you. Yeah, our pleasure. Thank you, John. Thanks You're for inviting us. Thank you. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to Intentionally Act Live from our website, intentionallyact.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Submit your stories and questions for future episodes by emailing us at info at Until next time.